0: Morning all, let's read Exodus together. We're starting at chapter one, verse one, which is on page 58 of the church Bibles, or you can follow it on the screen. So Exodus one, chapter one, verse one. These are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob, each with his family, Reuben, Simeon, Levi and Judah, Issachar, Zebulon, and Benjamin, Dan and Naphtali, Gad and Asher. The descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all. Joseph was already in Egypt. Now, Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous, and if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built Pithom and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar, and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Puah. When you're helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stall, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Pharaoh,
1: Now, when I was um, at school, uh, I was always taught about how to to write a story. You know, you'd have to have your uh, your beginning, your middle, uh, and your end. There's a starting point, and then something happens, and then you've got an end point. You know, you've got the there are three little pigs. They went off, they built their own houses, da-da-da-da-da-da. Uh, you know, the last pig ran inside the brick house, then depending on kind of how cruel your story was, the wolf jumped down and found a big pot of boiling water and ran off of a burned bottom, one of the more sort of slightly more mean ones, he just got cooked, you know, just <laughs> whatever it was. But it's that sort of sense, isn't it, that um, there's a beginning and a middle and the end, but, but in life it's not quite like that. In life, there isn't kind of a, a distinct point of a beginning, a middle, and an end. Uh, in fact, even past our mortal years, life goes on. And over the uh, last few weeks, in the evening, we've been looking at the story of Joseph. And you might remember that, that actually last year, uh, we were looking at the story of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And it's the, the story of... Of this family that's going on and on and on until we get to the uh, the very end of Genesis where we read uh, these words Genesis uh, chapter 50 verse 26 so Joseph died at the age of 110 and after they embalmed him he was placed uh, in a coffin and then straight away uh, we turn the page uh, and we read these words Exodus 1 verse 1 uh, these are the names of the sons of Israel who went into Egypt. Da, 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 da. But, but actually, uh, that first word is a, is a connective word. It, it's not sort of these. It really should say, uh, and these. Uh, because Moses, who wrote both Genesis and Exodus, is it, really connecting both of these stories. It's not a case of we, we close the story in Genesis, that's the end. And then we turn the page and here's a new beginning. Now, this is part of the same story, uh, the Joseph story and his 12 brothers, uh, Joseph dies, and then and these, we're, we're connecting what we've read this morning to what's going on previously. It's a, a continuing mission, Star Trek had their continuing mission, we've got a continuing story. So with that in mind, uh, let's pray uh, as we begin. Father, we thank you for this uh, continuing story. And we pray to look at it now that you, you may help us, not simply to understand what happens, but actually to, to know you more, to fear you, to love you. Amen. So Exodus, what does um, Exodus mean? Uh, well, just the word in itself means um, a, a way out. I guess it's a word that we use in sort of common language, don't we? So when Ben started preaching, there was an exodus out of the church. You know, it's that sort of thing. Um, but it, it, it's called exodus because of perhaps a, the most well-known event of the story, uh, the exodus, the going out of the people of Israel from Egypt through the Red Sea, the, the story of Moses that we have there, the films and other things uh, from and that is kind of the big event of the book, chapters 13 and 14. But our book of Exodus generally is sort of split into two halves. There's this first half, chapters 1 to 18, which is really centered onto this, this getting toward the Exodus, getting toward that moment of the people going out and then, and then afterwards them sort of heading uh, to Mount Sinai. And then the second half chapters 19 to 40 all takes place at Mount Sinai. It's all uh, them being given uh, sort of instructions uh, as they move forward. But why is this book so significant? Why is it so important? Well, on the one hand, it's important because every part of God's story is important. But on, on On the other hand, it's important because it it really helps us to understand what Christianity is all about. It's been described as one of the most theological books in the Bible, theological study of God. Um, It doesn't mean it's academic. It, It means that it gets to the core of who God is and what it means to follow him. It's a story that's, that's going to be lived out, played out, a literal story of God's people who are slaves, who need saving, who are delivered, and then sent off to live new lives. It's a story which God's people, the Israelites, were commanded to remember, to Passover every year, have this special meal, remember this, remember this, remember this. It's not a story that's been sort of just relegated to kind of the long distance past. It's a story to remember. Indeed, it's a story that actually, as we come to celebrate communion, actually finds its real fulfillment in the person of Jesus. So that's why I think it's important. But with that in mind, let's um, dive into to chapter one. Uh, so we have that beginning, that continuation, and these are the names of the sons of Jacob, that sort of linking uh, back to the past. And by this little just connecting sentence, we're diving back in not simply to be reminded of who is there that does that, but also to connect us back to all of the other bits from Genesis, the first book of the Bible. It connects us back to Jacob's dad, Isaac, to Isaac's dad, Abraham and to all of the, the promises that were given to him way back in chapter 12. But it also acts, this is a very, very tangible mind to say, there were 70 people that went into Egypt, 70. Um, and then the story trots on. Uh, verse 6, Joseph and all that generation died. Uh, and then we get uh, verse 7. But the Israelites uh, were exceedingly fruitful. Uh, they multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land uh, was filled with them. Uh, I wonder if that rings bells for you. It might do. It might not do. But but actually, it reminds us of Genesis one twenty eight. Way back. Uh, where God said this, God bless them. Speaking to Adam and Eve, God blessed them and said to them, "Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it." Uh, that same phrase is happening here. In other words, what we're being told is that God's people there are doing what God told them to do way at the beginning. They're growing. They're growing. They're growing, uh, and so they're more than simply this 70 in number. They become a a great number. But it also reminds us, as I said, of of those words from Genesis chapter 12, which you can see on the screens. I won't read them. Uh, But those promises that God said to Abraham, where he said, I will make you a great nation. You'll be a great people, you'll have your own place to live. Uh, And then, everyone who blesses you, I will bless. Uh, Everyone who curses you, I will curse. Uh, And of course, at the moment, if you know the Joseph story, then uh, Egypt welcomed in Joseph and his family. Uh, They were saved from the famine. They were blessed. But then we get the turning point in verse 8. So about 400 years has passed since Joseph. So it's quite a long time. Uh, The people, I said, are no longer just 70. They've grown and grown. Uh, And then we get verse 8. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. He says, look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them. Egypt's changing from wanting to bless them, to be good to them, to curse them to treat them badly. Uh, And so they put uh, slave masters over them. They they work them hard. Verse 14. They made their lives bitter with harsh labour. In brick and mortar, of all kinds of work, or we might say labour, in the fields, in all their harsh labour, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. They're literally being worked to death. That, that's Pharaoh's plan. Uh, we're going uh, to put, put them up, put slave things over them, slave masters. We're going to work them, work them, work them. So they're not going to increase. Some may die. Some may just be so tired they can do nothing. But does it work? Verse 12. But the more they oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. The very thing that Pharaoh is wanting to stop, he actually makes it happen quicker. It just doesn't work at all. His plans failed. Uh, Slavery isn't working. So plan two the midwives. He speaks to the uh, Israelite midwives and he, he says, verse 16, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, let him live. it's horrible these midwives whose job it is to protect life, to, to help life the child and the mother are being told to kill the baby boys they're told to enact uh, infant side. we're going to have a bit more focus on the midwives a bit later but, but it's an awful situation but nevertheless they they refused to do that. And so, verse twenty, so God is kind to midwives, and the people increased, and became even more numerous. Once again, Pharaoh's plans fail. So he comes up with one more idea. The very last verse of the, the reading we had, verse twenty two. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. I mean, this is, a, this is an awful place. It's desperate. It's depraved. It's depressing. It's terrible. But also, I wonder, in the back of our minds, we're perhaps wondering, thinking, is this going to work? And I guess we probably think, no, of course it's not. And a little spoiler alert to, to next week in, in chapter two. And there's a, a guy called Moses, a little Hebrew boy who's put into the river. Pharaoh's own daughter finds him. The one who you know, should do what her dad says. And what does, he, what does she do? Well, she doesn't tip up the basket to put him into the river. She picks him out. There's no way that this is going to work. It's going to fail as well. But what we're being uh, set up with in this chapter uh, is this picture of Egypt as this mighty oppressive force, this evil force that's powerful, that's oppressive, that that is doing what it wants. That we have this picture of this people of the Israelites who are in desperate need of of being rescued of redemption that they need a rescuer a deliverer to come because they have no hope their life is just going down and down and down and down and that's where the story stops today this is the point if we if this was a drama you know your ITV drama and it, it, this is the end of the episode the credits start to roll the order of hebrew go all must kill the hebrew boys Black screen, credits come. This is the the end of the the episode. But, you know, we're going to follow it through. We're going to see the story. But like every good uh, drama that has that sort of, you know, big overarching episode that runs through the whole series, often each episode has its own little story arc, its own little story that's taking place in that episode for you to enjoy, as well as the big picture. And today, uh, we have our own little story in this chapter, and it's related to the midwives. Uh, The only people in the whole chapter who are named, we don't know who Pharaoh's name is, we don't know who anyone is, the acting characters, we've got the genealogy, but the ones who are active, the only ones who are named are those two midwives, Shipra and Puah. And you can imagine what must have happened for them. They, lo- they love children. They love mothers. And they're being told to kill the baby boys. And not just, this is not just some sort of good advice, like some sort of you know, NHS advice of the day. If you can do this, it would be kind of helpful for you. This is an edict, a law from the king. You must do this. And you can imagine, you know, if there's a king who gives such a law, you must kill baby boys, he's hardly going to have a problem popping off two midwives if they don't do what he says. So the the question that that is in their minds is, is this. Who do they fear more? Who do they fear more? Well, they know that this is a wrong thing to do. It's wrong on so many levels. But if they don't do it, there's a high likelihood that something bad's going to happen to them. Probably death. Who do they fear more? The Lord or Pharaoh? Pharaoh? Verse 17, the midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. This is courageous faith. Courageous, courageous faith. And they're summoned to Pharaoh. Now, um, only once in my life have I uh, had a letter which was summoning me to court. It was a letter that I received. Uh, it said that I, I hadn't paid a train penalty, and it was calling me to court. And when I received that letter, I would, it, it just got your stomach in a real twist. And it did it for two reasons. The first is that, that when you get a letter like that, you realise something serious is going on. Something There's something which you're, you're in a situation, and it's a, an important situation, I, I, and you're being called to this higher authority. The second reason was is that it wasn't me. It was actually a case of mistaken identity. But that made me more, I knew I hadn't done it. But I'd done nothing wrong, and I was being called to the court. I felt awful. It took, until I got it sorted out, it was terrible. But, but here, this is not somebody being summoned to some local court somewhere. This is being summoned to the king. The one who doesn't speak just snaps his fingers and just like the queen of hearts, off with their heads. So what do they do? Verse 19. "Uh, The midwives answered Pharaoh, "Uh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. They lie. Or, Or at least... a. Deceptive. We, we, we don't know what they were actually doing. So we don't know what they did when they came across a Hebrew woman in labor. We, we don't know if they said, I'm going to be outside the door. Uh, we, we don't know what they were doing. And uh, so we don't know to the, the full extent to, to, to how this statement played itself out. But, but it seems that at least they were being a, a form of deceptive, deception to Pharaoh. Uh, and Pharaoh, who clearly has never been involved in any childbirth, takes them at their word. But did you notice, actually, how that, that statement did two things? It, it both sort of saved them. This wasn't just them saving their lives, though. It also meant that Pharaoh didn't go, well, I'll send some others to do the job that you won't do. He realised that this, this plan of his wasn't going to work. So it actually stopped Pharaoh's plan in its tracks as well. So is it right what they did? Well, verses 20 and 21. So God was kind to the midwives, and the people in Crete became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. They're commended. Now, I guess sometimes we understand in a small way how there are... Uh, different levels of priority. You know, someone bakes you a cake and you think it's the worst cake in the world. You usually say it was was lovely because you recognise that maintaining a relationship is more important. And here it seems that obviously that the midwives are commended because they feared God and they recognised the higher priority of, of maintaining life. Now, this obviously raises all sorts of questions for us. And there are ethical questions that we needed to think through, and are not always easy. I need to think through about the the ethics of of being truthful versus being deceptive in given situations. But I don't want to just linger on that today. I'll gladly chat to you at the end if you want to about it. But actually today, uh, the point that lingers is is this. Who do you fear more? Who do you fear more? Uh, When I say fear... uh, I don't mean terrified, like scared of. I mean fear as in value or respect will follow at the expense of. Who do you fear more in your life? Do you fear more uh, the Lord, uh, following him, or uh, something else? Uh, The world? it might be that actually that question of fearing the Lord is a completely new one to you. you think, what does that even mean? Well, one of the really helpful ways we just had Easter and we were uh, encouraging people to read part of the Bible, John's Gospel, just just grab one of these. Find out for yourself who Jesus is. Is he somebody who is is worth even thinking about? And I guess that for most of us, in most of our situations, um, this battle... Is internal. We're unlikely to uh, to face the wrath of the state for following the Lord in any given situation. Usually, uh, following the Lord and, and being a good uh, employee, good family member, they kind of go together, which is a really good thing. But it's not true in everywhere. Uh, today, uh, Open Doors, which is a charity that works with Christians across the world, particularly with Christians who are persecuted simply because they're Christians, uh, estimate that about 360 million Christians today in this world uh, will daily face the threat of, of, of death, imprisonment, or uh, severely having their lives disrupted, i.e. they can't work or their jobs are taken away. Can't get access to aid. 360 million. It's a reality, this question that they have to answer themselves is a, a very much physical question. So with that in mind, who do you fear more? We have brothers and sisters who will, just like Shipra and Pua, say, I'm going to follow the Lord. There was no way the midwives didn't know that Pharaoh was going to act how he did. He could have gone fine off of your heads what are you doing but they still were going to do that and let me say this even if pharaoh had said off with their heads it would have still been the right decision to make and they would still have benefited from it so what would it mean today for you to fear the lord to face social rejection to miss opportunities What will it mean for you today to to say, actually, just like those courageous women, I'm going to put the Lord first. I'm going to seek to follow him almost no matter the consequence. Just like our our brothers and sisters across the world who uh, you can go to open doors and read stories. Of those who know to put their faith in Christ is to sign their own death warrant, but they still do it. Why? Because just like the story of Exodus, we have a God who has come to save us. Why? Just as we're going to remember in communion, we talk about the Lord Jesus, who left his home in heaven at Christmas to become a baby. So then at Easter, die upon a cross on Good Friday and be rose again on Easter Sunday so that we may live with him forever. It's worth it. Let's pray. I'm going to pray. Using, there's a book called 40 Women, which is a really helpful little devotional book looking at 40 women uh, from the Bible. I'm going to pray using the prayer that uh, Ros Clark, the author, uses uh, at the end of the, the chapter on the Egyptian Hebrew midwives. Almighty God, thank you that we do not live under the oppression of slavery and we do not face the terror of genocide. We pray for our Christian brothers and sisters who are living in fear for their lives, who are subject to laws that force them to deny their faith in words or in actions. Give them the courage of shipwreck and pure to do what is right in your eyes and for us to do the same. And in your kindness, reward
0: them with great blessings to the glory of Christ. Amen.